0: Upgrading capitalism for the digital age. We'll talk about that. I'll try to keep up on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Funwise Capital. FunWise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals. Connect with Fundwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit. To see how much you can get, it's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. If you did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan that can help you get funding, get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash mindog. That's apply.funwise.com slash mindog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash mindog. Money. No, nobody is ready for the Mind Dog Magnificent Show. But we're doing it anyway. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome my friends to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here as always. Special Tuesday night edition. Uh, This show has been rescheduled a couple of times. My fault. But, um, you know, they say everything happens for a reason. I'm not a subscriber to that belief. But this sure seems like a timely conversation, uh, the way things worked out, with banks failing and stuff like that, that I think we need to be educated on. And um, perhaps my guests tonight can shed some light on some of this stuff for us um noah healy is a professional algorithm developer and if you know what that means i think you're lying and a recreational mathematician which is a good good hobby to have i guess who has become an expert on game theory i'm I'm already lost if you're lost you're not alone and designing marketplaces I'm just getting more confused with every word I read here. Building on breakthroughs from information theory and computerized game theory in the 20th century, he has developed a patent-pending system to supersede commodity markets. He's here now. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome Noah Healy to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Noah, welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me here. It's my pleasure. Let's start with the word algorithm because a lot of people use this word. I use it sometimes, and I have to admit, I'm just putting it out there. It's, it's something I've heard. I, I kind of know it. it's uh, equations and stuff like that, but nobody really, very few people actually really knows, know what it means. What is an algorithm?
1: Well, algorithm actually comes from the same root as the word algebra, and both of them come from the name of an Arab mathematician from... Uh, I believe he was operating around a millennia ago, uh, and and I can't actually pronounce his name. Sadly, I've I've read it in number of books, but I haven't heard it said. I'm certainly not confident enough to just try attempt to
0: well, rattle it off. In my life, that's that's I, I'm always introducing people. I'm <laughs> reading their names. I've never really gotten a good. <laughs> yes, and I have to pronounce a guest's name, and I always get it wrong. So I I, I sympathize with that. But an algorithm <laughs> is
1: essentially the essence of a process. Um, so recipes are algorithms. The the way that you learned how to multiply numbers in grade school that's an algorithm. Uh, the proofs in Euclid's Elements are all algorithms, um, and the sequence of actions that Ford Motor Company undertakes to build a F one hundred and fifty is an algorithm. Okay, uh, and so it's a very general term that we have we have hung these kind of dark secret parts of of big multinational companies like google and facebook uh on and entered them into the popular culture in that fashion uh so it it gets a little weird
0: cool so basically it's a fancy way for saying systems designer a systems developer yes, uh or? yeah yeah <laughs> okay Alright, I'm glad I cleared that up and I actually know what that means because it's shrouded in mystery. When we hear the algorithm, like the YouTube app, al- well, what is that? It's a bunch of computers talking to each other about what exactly. Uh, they're looking for words and, and mathematics. What is it exactly? Well, that gives me a better idea. Now, who hires algorithm developers other than YouTube, Facebook and, and social media companies now? it do, Like Ford Motor Company uh, would go out and put a, a, a Indeed ad looking for algorithm developer?
1: Well, <laughs> lots of startups um, essentially have tech backends these days. Uh, and so I've done a bunch of different things. Uh, I worked for a company that was uh, managing ad buys in Google AdWords and other search up, uh, systems. And so I wrote them the algorithm that they use to manage those ad buys. I've built systems that can do mass customized emails. Uh, I've built systems that can analyze web logs. um, And and I've even built uh, uh, like sales um, uh, bonus management algorithms where depending on which targets, uh, which person hit uh, different things happened in such a fashion that there were a handful of general rules that the entire sales team was was meeting. So in this case, management had a lot of desires for sort of what sort of outcomes that they were looking for and what kind of incentives they wanted. And I found the simple set of rules that matched up with those, those desires.
0: Okay, this is interesting stuff. Now, so... Uh fair to say that most large companies have somebody doing that for them. I'm I'm just, I'm not saying that as a statement. It's really a question, but is it generally one person or you work as a team? Uh, I usually work in, in some form of team
1: companies at this point in my experience, aren't really aware that they need this sort of behavior uh, in general. So uh when companies do have a guy like me around um they don't always recognize that that's true uh i was i was with one company that uh that moved stakes and as a result of that the system that my team had built uh actually had to be abandoned because they didn't understand the nature of that system uh Sort of the consequences of that system, and this was unfortunate because they had actually they had planned on organizing their entire company around this system, and then refused to actually support it. Uh, We were using a a piece of third-party software that needed a a fairly hefty RAM upgrade that was going to cost ten thousand dollars. This is for a company with revenues in excess of hundred million dollars. for a system of supporting over 200 people and they decided that spending $10,000 was a lot of money. Um, so I left cause I, the, the algorithm people, Software can't do anything without hardware. So if you're not going to pay for the hardware, then then you know, I can't I can't make bricks without clay.
0: I get that. Um, as a person who is really not involved in that, never been involved in that end of business. Mostly, more, most of my work has been in the creative fields of marketing, uh, sales, presentations, things like that. Uh, I can tell you, it probably. Not an exception to hear that, probably more the rule where businesses tie themselves into systems and have no idea what they're getting into. And then when they realize the realities of what it takes to maintain that system, sometimes they don't want to dedicate the resources necessary. It sounds like a pretty common thing in business. Game theory what the hell is that? <laughs>
1: So I've said this many times now, game theory is one of the most flippantly named things in history. Game <laughs> theory is the mathematics of strategy.
0: Okay. Uh, so do businesses use this?
1: Some and- do. Uh, it's it's fairly rare. Um, probably the single most famous uh, 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 general application of game theory is the... Uh, nuclear brinkmanship strategy of the 20th century mutual assured destruction right. uh, where Would they like created... to play a
0: game is that is that where it comes from like the the movie war games Game. the movie
1: games? war games um the guys that that created that uh had been doing a lot of research and were talking to a lot of the people that had actually developed uh, American nuclear strategy and that was based on the decision to model the conflict or the potential conflict between the USA and the Soviet Union as a very simple game of chicken um, a game that that you know can have a winner and a loser but only if one side voluntarily loses and and otherwise only as you know dual losers if, if you run into each other well and s- so the way that you limit the possibility of your counterparty choosing the bad option is by making the bad option worse, and that's what led to the logic of the you know, runaway uh, 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 weapons proliferation and uh, arms race.
0: Got it. Now, uh, are you aware <clears throat> I mean, not to sidetrack the conversation, are you aware that that is actually based on a sort of a real thing that happened the guy who uh designed the russian detection system for a first strike it was the only thing that saved us from all-out nuclear war at the able archers oh, brian j morrow was on the program he wrote a book about it he was an intelligence officer it and is
1: it the, is a fascinating story yeah basically yeah, yeah. a flock of geese and there was a russian officer that that decided that it really was fairly unlikely that an unhinged NATO attack had occurred. And so he did not press the button to, right. to accelerate. Um, yeah. It's uh, that there, there's some, there's some really insane things that happened uh, during the, the sort of nuclear period. Right. Um, uh, not least of which is that we developed and started to promulgate a, a, relatively clean form of energy uh and as we encountered difficulties with it we decided to simply back away and abandon the technology rather than actually you know exploring and building on engineering expertise
0: fear will do that um and you know if something seems dangerous uh, or or too dangerous to manage uh that will make you step take a, a huge step back i think eventually we'll move forward <laughs> on that uh now uh the next part of this so game theory and I'm, I'm just trying to imagine how that might come into play in modern business i don't think uh and and maybe this is my naivety here i don't think a lot of businesses are generally intentionally employing game theory do you are they uh
1: there are a few people who who say that they're doing that um but not as many as there certainly could be. Uh, And and there's a lot of scope for strategic insight from game theory in in the sorts of situations we encounter, Uh, but business models are very old. Um, I've talked to e-commerce people. E-commerce is using business models from the Bronze Age. Um, it's, It's essentially a... Uh, sort of itinerant retail model that's just become much easier because travel is so much simpler with with you know, globalized networks taking care of things for you.
0: People don't like to change the way they do business. This is one thing I've learned over 50 years of being in business is uh, systems get in place and people get locked into them and this is the way we've done things it's the way we've always done it, the way we're always going to do it and they don't like to adapt uh, and Sometimes they have to and are forced to, but nobody likes to do it. And nobody- that's that's <laughs> absolutely true. Um, yeah.
1: However, as you were pointing out earlier with these, these bank failures, uh, the mathematics uh, tells us that we are going to be forced to abandon the ways that we do business uh, because they are incompatible with the technology stack.
0: That yeah, we yeah, have. I get it. Now, the last part of this plug, and I'm sorry for the really uh, basic education I need in this stuff, but this is all new to me. Designing marketplaces. Now, obviously, I know what a marketplace is, and there are various kinds of marketing places. What does designing them mean? Does it mean sitting down with a conscious effort and saying, this is a product The market for it is doesn't exist. The marketplace for it does not exist yet, and I have to create the marketplace. Explain that to me, if you would. Did I lose you? Did I lose you? Are you there? Hello. Hello. I still see. Still see you. If you can hear me, you probably have a tab open or something. Hello.
1: Hello. I'm sorry about that. Uh, my uh, it, it suddenly dropped my mic while you were talking. Oh. Uh, but I am back now. And
0: okay. I, okay. So the sorry. question I was asking about designing marketplaces, I know what a marketplace is. The term is, has me confused. This is if you, a product has been developed that there is no marketplace for. I mean, what does designing marketplaces really mean? Well, this this gets interesting because I'm effectively the only
1: person to have ever done this. Uh, the <laughs> marketplace that we presently use is widely regarded to have occurred by accident. Um, but what it means to design a marketplace is to use game theory to construct a a set of co-interested relationships. So a marketplace is a forum for economic activity. And economic activity is activity that's voluntary and consequently mutually beneficial, right? And so in order to design a marketplace, you need to come up with a set of roles and a set of actions for those roles such that people taking on any one of those roles is doing so for their own good to the mutual benefit of all the people taking on all of the
0: other roles. Hmm, Is that generally accepted? Because in capitalism, and I'm not bashing capitalism, I've been a a hardcore capitalist most of my life. I have uh, kind of moderated somewhat in my views on that i still think capitalism is a driving force for good if it can be kept in check from greed and um abuse uh but is that necessarily the idea of mutual benefit in capitalism it seems like that part of it is left out quite often and i'm talking about in the the guys who make, guys and women, <laughs> who make profit their their number one and only goal and the only thing they see, they don't care about mutual beneficial. I mean, that you perceive it as mutually beneficial, the customer, the consumer, sees it as mutually beneficial is important because that's what's going to get you to buy it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like most of... The billionaires and multi billionaires care about m- mutual benefit at all?
1: Well, that's what gets to the issue I was talking about before, where the systems that we have right now actually can't stand up to the tech stack that we have right now. And so um, the sorts of behaviors that we see dominating in the market that are now using the name capitalism to describe themselves. Uh, are a a variety of frauds uh, that that would simply be criminal in times past, but because of how much sort of speed and leverage and noise that's enabled by having a global communication network, uh, very rapid calculation, uh, very large databases, means that it's effectively impossible to detect and punish these behaviors using the systems that we have. Right. And so the the thing to understand is that while currently and historically business leaders and market actors were and are more intelligent than the average person, the effectiveness of the marketplace itself is is smarter and wiser than the individuals making up the market. The structure of the market allowed us to essentially create these super aware advisors that could help us build and guide our economies. Um, And the relative intelligence of the actual people that were carrying out the tasks wasn't a particularly relevant factor in that in that system but what makes that that particular algorithm role um, is effectively negated by having computer technology in the loop and so what we're seeing is that our financial professionals don't actually know how to run a financial system because they never knew how to run a financial system. The financial system used to have regulatory capacities that could cope with them when they made mistakes or were unwise or were criminal. And it's lost those capacities or is losing those capacities. Uh, And it's getting worse as computing technology becomes more ubiquitous more powerful and more more networked um and so what we're seeing is that people don't know how to run large companies because people never knew how to run large companies all right we don't have marcus anymore to tell us
0: let's start there because i think and maybe i'm just a little too old school a little too common thinking but and I had a, a billionaire on who told me, "I, I was asking about those big numbers." He said, "It's just zeros. It, you know, five billion is is just five thousand with a lot more zeros on the end of it. You got to forget about those zeros and doing transactions and think of business. So running a big business, and and this could be my simpleton showing, uh." It's just an extension of running a small business. If you can run a small business, all you have to do is scale that out. No? Am I wrong in that? So it depends on effectively how many moving parts you're connected
1: into. Um, If you're running a big business because you have a very simple business model that happens to be able to service everyone on earth, and consequently, you have a lot more going on, that's fine. But if you have a very large business that's big because it's a conglomeration of a lot of smaller businesses, then what you've actually done is removed the marketplace and taken over your opinions. And effectively, you're acting as an economic dictator over a sector of the economy. And very much what we are doing is accumulating. Uh, I had an aunt that until uh, until her retirement... Her job was to drive an hour down the road to Richmond, sit in a room with two computers, and work for a bank that had absorbed multiple other banks. And she would read one monitor that had one of the bank's systems that they absorbed and fill in slots in the existing bank's internal banking system that they had developed. Now, if they actually knew how banking functioned and were skilled technicians they would be able to rewrite the bank that they acquired's back end in terms of their system but since neither of those things are true they hired people to do those do those translations on a one by one
0: you know basis that sounds like a very common practice too uh, in business is this idea of uh band-aiding or because we didn't really think it through we're going to use a really uh clunky human involvement system that, that that is highly inefficient and doesn't really uh at the end of the day get you any closer to to solvency or or you know anything that's a smooth running engine at the end of the day it just makes it long it just prolongs the pain it's a band-aid excuse and and we see that a lot in business absolutely yeah the existing
1: markets uh something like the new york stock exchange has been around for centuries it's now being operated by computers uh but the computers are doing their level best to replicate the old human behaviors except they're doing it around a million times faster. And it turns out that very important things change when you speed things up to that degree, uh, not least of which your user base sped up even more than that. And and the it used to be the case that the market itself was the smartest and quickest entity in the system, and that's what made it work. And now that the marketplace itself not only isn't but can never, ever become the smartest and quickest entity in the system.
0: Um, it will it will fail and can, can never become a, is that a, a absolute statement or is that just an opinion or it's it's an absolute statement. So there's a very strong uh,
1: analogy to be made between uh, heat engines like like your car's gas engine or a steam engine and information processing systems, because it turns out that information has a very strong correlation to entropy, which is also the physical quality that, that sort of is important in engineering engine systems. Um, if you were to take a perfectly functioning gas engine and put it in an oven and raise the temperature of the air that was in it, at some point, the the differential gain of the explosion would be insufficient to actually allow the engine to have any power. And once you were up to that temperature, the engine would be completely worthless as an engine, in spite of the fact that mechanically it would be identical in every way to when it came off the factory floor. Interesting. Yeah. This is this is what's going on with the with the sort of noise machine that is produced by the internet twitter conversations offline transactions and so on that are now possible because globalized communication of almost all of us to almost all of us is just an actual practical reality that increases the noise that marketplaces have to cope with and and, and cut through and the market has a, the market algorithm has a finite ratio capacity between noise and signal. And and that that ratio will get worse and worse until it gets past whatever the actual boundary point is, at which point our markets will not, will have z- zero actual economic function. And that point might lie in the future and it might lie in the past. We don't really know.
0: Might lie in the past. I thought you were going to say it might be like in in the near future, a distant future in the past uh, would be a bad thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Markets
1: may have already failed. Uh, we wouldn't notice um, the difference between a functioning and unfunctioning marketplace would be prices that were actually useful and predictive. So if our markets had gone past the point where, they no longer functioned, we would expect to see our businesses uh, experiencing sort of whipsaw uh, uh, supply issues, uh, difficulty with maintaining operant funding, you know, the kinds of stuff we actually see in the news for the last decade.
0: I was going to say, what what you're describing there sounds like a lot lot like what we've been going through the last three years, Uh, so maybe it is in the past. How... (laughs) Now, do you get into predictive uh, kind of stuff? Like, uh, if that is the case, how long would it take before Armageddon, or, you know, or uh, to put it bluntly, the shit hits the fan? I really don't, um, and and it's because it's
1: it's not interesting to me. Uh, uh, I've described this as as essentially what I'm telling you is that you know we have a glass table and. And there's a like you know lead weight that's been dropped from a high distance, and at some point it's going to hit the table and it's going to shatter. Um, and there's nothing we can do about that. But what I have to sell is is an alternate to glass that you know can withstand lead weights hitting it. And and so let's trial this thing out learn how it works and and you know get rolling um and you know get get ourselves an economy
0: <laughs> that's an interesting one now uh because the analogy you have there the, the lead weight is going to hit the glass table the, i think time is important to understand how much time you have before you can mo- to, to move that glass table and uh replace it with uh, i don't know an, a cast iron table or whatever <laughs> right? Well, so- Time that sense,
1: it. I think it's important to understand that probably the first instance of a flash crash would be the eighty-seven crash. That was yeah. that was when the New York Stock Exchange first crested a million units traded in a single day. It was I remember the single it very well. Biggest day drop in history, and it was an algorithmic drop.
0: Ivan Bosky.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well the thing to the thing to understand about that is that these days it is a normal occurrence for some issue in some marketplace to undergo a limit up or limit down circuit breaker event.
0: Wow. Um, so in your I guess opinion in your expertise in your uh, from from your perspective, what we saw with the two banks in the last week. Do they, does that relate to any of what you're talking about here well
1: that gets to what looks like an issue again of of sort of having too many simultaneous moving parts um, uh, th- for regulatory reasons um, banks are al- were allowed or are allowed to hold uh treasury bonds on their on their books as not marked to market uh and in order to deal with the inflation issues that we're now seeing, uh, we're jacking up the rates on treasury bonds. Now, historically speaking, the amount that we still have to jack up rates on treasury bonds is extreme compared to what we've presently done. And every time they bump the rate of the bonds, the value of the bonds that are out there drops. So, uh If banks are forced to mark these things to market, they would lose a large and important part of their capital cushion. And that's something that's true across the entire banking sector. What we saw is the failure of banks that were operating in ways that were, you know, as everybody said, quite imprudent. Um, But frankly, the entire financial sector is operating in ways that are quite imprudent.
0: Yeah, well, it made a lot of people scared to think that, okay, these two are out there, but they're probably just the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, well, and- it's possible. And, well, and there's another
1: point, it was called a an electronic bank run, Um you know the the issue that happened at silicon valley is that they had a relatively small number of relatively enormous depositors who all knew each other and were all network connected and so those people were able to very rapidly organize a a concerted sequence of transfers that effectively wiped out the bank um but there's nothing special about that every bank has every bank in America has the majority of their user base on Twitter, right. uh, which is a networked communication system that they're all connected through. It's, it's entirely within the capacity of humans to decide to form, you know, some kind of team to manipulate the financial system through social contagion. And that might even happen by accident. And there's quite literally nothing that the that the banking system could do about that which my guess is the reason why uh, the Treasury secretary and the president announced the new policy that there was no upper limit on on
0: bank depositor assurances see that that doesn't make sense to me because first of all knowing human, Uh, human proclivities for behavior. When you say "don't worry," because they put out a statement, all the deposits will be will be insured and all that stuff. Now, just saying that there's not going to be a run on the banks because they're all secure and and they're all going to be guaranteed. That just putting that idea out there makes people nervous and think, "Well, maybe I ought to run on the bank. I, I ought to go get my money before." there's a run on the bank because they wouldn't be planning this and they wouldn't be saying, don't worry if there was nothing to worry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there, there are reports of, of some small banks having some financial issues because people are pulling money out of small banks to get into systemically important banks in the hopes that, you know, this sort of bailout thing might apply more to, to the, the better than the worse or the bigger than the smaller banks. And, uh, and that's, there's also people saying that, you know, it's kind of a deep play by those bigger banks to set off these kinds of things. Uh, Barney Frank, who, uh, apparently is, uh, went to work for a signature, which is the third of the failures, right. uh, has, has apparently declared that his opinion is that, um, the signature failure was actually a hit job, by the other big financial firms that didn't like the fact that Signature was supporting crypto, uh, and so that they intentionally crashed the bank um, in spite of the fact that they were doing fine now. I would expect the manager of a failing bank to claim that he was doing fine too. So I can't really evaluate that statement, yes. but a lot of crazy stuff is, is getting thrown around these days.
0: Right now from a mathematical, and I want to get into the crypto stuff too, because th- this is something that a lot of people obviously think they're experts in and know all stuff. My wife definitely thinks she know she's got a good handle on crypto. I don't. Uh, but, and so we'll come back to that, but from a mathematical perspective, it is absurd to think that the FDIC can bail out every bank. If it were to happen on a large scale with banks across, even just across the U.S., the U.S. banks, we couldn't bail them all out, could we? Uh, so the number I saw was that um, the the
1: un the unbackstopped uh, banking deposits were five trillion dollars. And the FDIC's backing fund, um, before whatever they wound up doing for these three banks, uh, was I believe I saw 127 billion. Um, <laughs> which, if it's a mild problem, you know, if 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 that five trillion took a one percent hit, then that would only cost 50 billion dollars to make up the difference. Right. Um, but if it took a three percent hit, then that would be 150 billion dollars to make up the difference. Right. Uh, and Silicon Valley purportedly had a 20 uh, percent hit. Right.
0: So and- yeah. Um, so yeah, if you look at the big picture, this is where it gets scary to me. Like, from my, from my, and I don't want to put this out there because it even listen the big banks aren't listening to me. <laughs> but just putting this out there feels like I, I I should keep it to myself and keep that energy <laughs> inside. But it just doesn't seem like there's enough money on the planet, 8 billion people, we could not uh, bail out the bank if this was on a large scale uh, operation, we'd have to come up with a whole new system. Well, speaking
1: of not enough money on the planet, the way the existing markets actually work, the majority of they exchanges that they do are sort of futures options exchanges that effectively don't register on normal GDP type figures. So the CME group, which is the premier commodity exchange on earth and the kinds of markets that I'm developing systems for, uh, they claim to handle a quadrillion dollars worth of transactions per year. <laughs> this is on a planet that that's where the total GDP is on the order of a hundred trillion dollars. So they're doing ten times as much business as humanity is doing, right. and they are not the only commodity players out there. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. The, know... there there quite literally isn't enough money in the world to actually make all this stuff real if it if it all goes sideways fully but fortunately that's that's
0: this is where relatively rare this is where everything breaks down into total confusion for me and probably for many other people on the planet i've talked to many economists and economy the economy and economics is not my to say it's not my strong suit would be you know to soft pedal it i i'm an idiot when it comes to this stuff but i've asked the simpleton question where does money come from where does our belief in because it comes down to crypto is no different than cash in in terms of it's all imaginary it only has value because we say it does so if all the money in the world it's really Well, all we let have to me do is imagine it more. Let so, me take a crack at this
1: because okay. a lot of people get confused about these things. First off, money is the unit of measurement for uh economic interest in a system. Um and that that can be a barter technology that can be you know uh, some kind of minted bullion that can be fiat that could be crypto currency is what people mostly talk about and currency is a culturally instituted money and that's what's really important um very functional societies have operated with virtually worthless currencies because they didn't have any sort of an economy because they didn't want any sort of an economy. Um, Other societies have been very unsuccessful with extremely valuable currencies um, because what they were posting the value on wasn't actually relevant to, to what would have enabled them to progress scientifically and technologically. So where crypto falls down is that they're effectively attempting to call a society into being around a currency that they've invented. And that's the wrong order, basically. Uh, they, They don't have the cultural engagement to... To have the the status that that cash does um, where where current fiat currencies fall down um, is that they've they've essentially attached themselves to a financial system that they feel can operate as a governor on themselves and as it happens um, there's no historical precedent for that actually working. What what has enabled fiat currencies to exist for the last few centuries has been the fortuitous coincidence of the Industrial Revolution causing economies to actually grow exponentially along with money supplies. Um, and... And that connection is now breaking down because we've now shifted from an industrial to a computational kind of expansion. And it turns out that the the sector of the economy that is most advantaged by having mechanical clerks is the financial sector. And so they're increasing the complexity of our society to their own benefit. Um, but that breaks the structure that caused it to also be to our benefit. Um, and so that's why we're getting this kind of flywheel out of control, tangent and from behavior out yeah. of our marketplaces these days.
0: Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds to me like you just, uh, expressed a, uh, negative, uh, viewpoint about crypto. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes.
1: I think now, there's technological and cultural limitations to the technology right
0: now. I wouldn't disagree with you. But then again, keep in mind that my opinion actually has no weight <laughs> in this discussion. But I would tend to agree with you. But the question becomes, if that if you're right, is it too late to put the genie back in the bottle? Can that genie ever be put back in the bottle?
1: Well, so my point is that A big part of what we've done over the last 80-ish years now uh, in the development of computers, the internet, and so on, is we've learned an enormous amount about information, measuring information, and data processing. And so we can use those tools to build systems that don't have the problems that these systems have in particular they don't have the catastrophic failure states that these systems
0: have right well a lot of this system the, the reason i think is it, it can the genie be put back in the bottle it seems to me that I, we've reached a point where enough people are investing heavily in it and and playing it almost like a slot machine like you know a a lot of uninformed people just going off what they heard on twitter what what should i uh, you know which crypto it's not a matter of should i be in crypto it's which crypto is right today and i'm gonna move bitcoin to whatever ethereum whatever the hell i don't even know what these languages actually i'm saying words i really have no concept of but it seems that there's so many people in it, it it's impossible to step back and say, okay, this system's not going to work. Here's what here's what we need to replace that with. Am I wrong? I hope it isn't impossible because
1: I'm the person that's say, trying to say precisely that. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it's an option to just become increasingly desperate and flailing as our systems crumble around us until things get bad enough that it takes general society with it. And I would say that's the other option.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now, not to be too negative here, but so you're an optimist about you. You believe there is a solution and you believe that you know what the solution is. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, So
1: an interesting fact about the universe that we definitely didn't know even at the time is that uh, the DNA molecule that underpins basically all life, uh, turns out to be a nearly perfect analog for the imaginary thought machine that Alan Turing developed to actually introduce the concept of general computation to humanity. So life is very much a computational process. So I don't think it's impossible to develop functioning systems for living beings like you and me in in the presence of computers because effectively all life has been in the presence of computers from, you know, the earliest cyanobacteria Um, it's, but if we don't happen to know what that particular answer is, because we've never actually tried to do that before, it shouldn't be terribly surprising that what we have built isn't ideal. And, and so, We're we're gonna get we're gonna get to change.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I hear you say that, and I I agree with you that of course it's possible to build a a system. I I don't think anything is beyond possibility. the The issue becomes human nature, and the humans want to even is there enough interest in even listening to what your uh, proposed solution might be among people who like the system the way it is?
1: Well, that's that's where I have to have some faith. Um, the thing that I can offer to people that actually build these things is uh, a greater revenue stream than anybody's ever experienced in any context ever. Um, so, you know, there's that.
0: How many people... Because uh, you can't do this alone. I think you would recognize that, you, you know, you can't be the savior of the economic system of the planet well, maybe you can't i'm just thinking it, it, nobody can do it alone right how much support do you have how much um you know general consensus with the ideas that you're presenting among people who, who have the power to actually influence these things I'm working with a handful of people who are attempting to build
1: systems that incorporate the technology, um, mostly outside the world, outside the USA. Um, I've got a couple of friends that are, uh, sort of giving me support in developing messaging and, and giving me sounding boards to bounce things off of. Uh, uh, but mostly it's, it's pretty much me out here, uh, fighting with the patent office and and trying to get the attention of, of major financial players now
0: is it just trying to get their attention or but even once you get their attention it's getting them interested and motivated enough to want to change and it's, so that's a that's a, you know my my favorite objection to date um was a guy
1: uh i i actually went to grade school with him he was a, a market maker in the corn markets until he he retired and there aren't any of those anymore. Uh he attempted to break the idea down for a couple of hours. Uh he was completely incapable of coming up with any objection that he felt was valid after after it was answered. And his parting shot was, I'm sure it won't work, but I don't know why it won't work.
0: Wow. Well that's at least honest. Because the general thing the general way out of that when you just want to re you want to object but you can't think of any real good reason you should i'll have to talk it over with my wife <laughs> <laughs> i mean or or my partner or whoever it is it's it's because uh and that's a general thing in sales you get to the point where there's no objections left but they're not buying and so that's where it comes down to well I, this is why you have uh, the all the important parties there when you're making your sales presentations. So well,
1: that's also where the patent office is. They yeah, have yeah. they have agreed that there's absolutely no prior art. They have agreed that it is clearly superior to the systems that presently exist. They have decided that it must not be patentable
0: material, therefore, and now, therefore cannot be patented. You, you got me a little confused here with the patent. Is it a patent of... Information flow. What what do you present to, to get a a patent on? So
1: you you can patent processes and mechanisms. Um, and so, for example, the the invention that made Edison the money that allowed him to turn into Edison was an improvement to the stock ticker, the ticker tape machine. Um, and as it happens, the ticker tape machine is a important mechanism to make the existing markets work without a without a technology to record and report the deals that are happening on the floor the deals that are happening on the floor themselves are effectively worthless so um that mechanism is is patentable uh and he wound up selling that for i believe it was forty thousand dollars
0: um he he had in like eighteen nineties money or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We
1: actually um we have we have his uh his personal journal. He he was he had convinced himself that the invention was probably worth sixty or seventy dollars, but he had resolved that he was gonna let the other person make the initial offer um uh, just to see where his head was at. And the opening offer was forty thousand dollars. Wow, I would have worked it a little bit. Um <laughs> So, so what this mechanism is uh, basically the, the systems that take on board the various kinds of information from the producer, the consumer, and the informed negotiator roles, and then mangle those into the price and clearance uh, pieces of the marketplace and, and kind of hook up everything together.
0: All right, now, because the question I have is, I know people who have tried to get patents and, and have gotten patents, but it took years for mechanical things, things that they could touch and feel. I'm thinking you, you to get this through the patent office, first of all, you have to have somebody with a big brain to explain it to and make sure they get exactly what you're expl- so uh, this is not going to be a a quick of uh, going from pending to patent
1: it, it has not been so i got a notice of acceptance in 2019 um the patent was actually uh the full patent was put in in uh in 2006 and by the end of 2019 uh we'd gone through a few rounds and i had actually walked the examiner through the issues involved. Uh, It was accepted. That acceptance was withdrawn. Um, The nature of that withdrawal was unfortunately meaningless. Uh, And so I was able to find uh, key scientific papers that are actually hosted on government websites about algorithmic improvement and what that means. Uh, And my attorneys were able to get them to extend the withdrawn uh, uh, acceptance in February of last year. Uh, that three weeks after that that acceptance was withdrawn in what appears to be an unprecedented uh, act in the history of the United States. Um, the Patent Office then stiffed my con- congressman uh, wouldn't tell them what was going on either, and there is a case heading for court. Uh, I have been assured that that case will not be heard prior to September, uh, and we'll see how uh, how a judge feels about the patent office violating its own procedures and throwing up uh, two different objections, both of which are self contradictory.
0: You know, I I hate conspiracy theories, but there are times when me too conspiracy <laughs> happens.
1: It's but a lot of fun, isn't it? it
0: yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the other part of that statement is every good story, every human interaction has a protagonist and antagonist. And I would think they're probably powerful people because I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist now, but they're probably powerful pe- uh, people who are opposed to you uh, getting this patent. Yes or no? Do you think? There certainly might be. I mean, I... I was at
1: the commodity futures trading convention, the agricultural commodity futures trading convention, before COVID. Um, I I talked to a hundred different people uh, in the industry. I sent my white paper to people that work at the CME group. It's not that there's no people who have ever been aware of what I've been up to, um, but my situation, uh, you know, you say every great story has a protagonist and an antagonist. I'm in kind of like Kafka's The Trial. Like, there's no antagonist here. It's just this kind of infinitely regressing. Uh, we're not going to do that because we're not going to do that type of type of response at this point.
0: I always think there's got to be somebody, somebody with money, saying they're going to try and. Sw- I definitely once you start saying they you're lost that's a conspiracy theory if you can't name them i I gotta go by my own rules here but it just feels like there should probably be somebody whose interest you're not serving by coming up with this system uh who would want to block it it just feels like you know it would be
1: it would be very emotionally satisfying for that to turn out to be the answer and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and to figure that out yes
0: okay that's good enough that's fair enough um i gotta because we're, we're short on time maybe i should ask you about cord disc before I, I go down Core disc what exactly do you do so cord
1: is my company that essentially is the you know shell to license this technology to people um so so it exists so that there can be a corporation to to have licensing agreements with okay. for these coordinated discovery market systems
0: so who go who 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 is that website for uh the website
1: is actually kind of a dumping ground of information um i've i've been doing podcasts i, I really ought to put uh my podcast up on that at some point um yeah. but uh i've got a few links to videos of background in the mathematics the it's it's a place for me to put up the white paper where people can access it um and uh and also i've got the the sort of actually asked questions um where i've got the the answers that i've been able to come up with for various questions i've gotten
0: over the years talking to to industry professionals laymen are intimidated by math and you i'm sure you know that with the you know everybody who has if you don't have a mathematics degree or you ever did not like do well in a math class you get intimidated by it. it's one of those subjects that will beat you into uh feeling inferior you just make one mistake and it actually it makes you want to avoid the subject altogether uh and so i was one of those kids who was excelled in math in uh in grammar school junior high school and in high school once i got to college level uh it started to beat humility into me and then i started to hate the subject but uh so it, it, this is why i'm saying who's it for like you know i i know a lot of people are turned off by math or afraid of math
1: yeah that's that's sort of my basic challenge um the, the the go-to question for people in patent law is have you broadcast this have you published it have you told people about this and so i was one of my early attorneys i was talking to about this uh, i pointed out that since i described the problem space and the approach technically i told them how to do it because all they had to do is simply apply that approach to the problem space and they'd be able to come up with the same answer i did Um, and they said okay you've never told anybody what you're doing
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was just thinking (laughs) <laughs> they can't apply it anyway um all right, so we've covered all that now, and we we are at overtime here, but I gotta ask you this because this has been a big subject of people who've been on the program there's a couple- it's kind of all tied into one it's a i it's robotics it's the economy of that situation where humans are kind of obsolete and working for machines at some point this idea that. Uh, And we've we've talked about universal income and and all this kind of stuff. And I think all of that ties together. Do you have any views on how AI and the state of humans becoming maybe obsolete in a world or becoming servants to machines? Does does that factor into your thinking at all about? I have very well-developed thoughts on this subject.
1: I believe that we are entering or in the fourth age of mankind i think that computers are bigger deal than steam engines i know that steam engines wiped out the political systems religious beliefs cultural practices and economic you know corporate structures of the civilizations that invented them and the the those civilizations went on to conquer the world and change all those things for every other kind of civilization that exists I think there's absolutely no reason to expect that not to happen again with computers. Uh, and just as the conservatives of the 16 and 1700s looked at people coming off the farms as a mass starvation event, because if 80% of people weren't doing stoop labor, where would the food to actually feed everybody come from? Um, I think that people concerned about some kind of techno feudalism, enslaved serfdom future of the machines are, are off the mark in some critical way. Um, we need to re-examine our ethics and our beliefs. I'm starting with markets because I think they're actually the easiest thing to start with. Um, but We have an enormous capacity. We will either be driven under by it, in which case we'll lose the actual capacity to maintain our civilization and effectively have a dark age, uh, or we will actually be able to incorporate those capacities into our lives, in which case the civilizations we build will have the kinds of wealth and lifestyle that regards the way we live right now with the kind of disdain and horror that we correctly regard early industrial pre-industrial and pre-agricultural civilizations as having to endure
0: forgetting i think we forget how how we the the stain of the you know the robber barons and all that kind of stuff we we forget how inhumane some of those systems we had at those times were and again
1: i think we see parallels um the gin lanes the 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 gin mills the incredible blow up of substance abuse and prostitution and so on that were accompanying this early capacity expansion of people going to the factories in towns and suddenly having a lot more money and not really knowing what to do with themselves under those circumstances. Um, We, we, I believe we can figure this stuff out, but we definitely need to figure this stuff out. And, and these kinds of conversations um, which are not, The common currency of our existing politics no definitely become the common currency of of our politics and religion and society and meaning because because the capacities exist right now
0: all right that is a perfect way to get to the the perfect way to i think sum this conversation up and that that is what can i do what can the individual do to help this along because you know most of the people i will get in conversation with daily if i start to have this conversation with anybody probably going to put them to sleep uh especially me trying to have the conversation i'm not you i'm not knowledgeable about it i i heard what you said and i am a beginner student i am my first day of school student i'm not qualified to go out and Carry this conversation forth. What can the individual do to help you with your cause? Um,
1: at this point, uh, reach out um, and and maybe help me uh, somehow reflect or or broadcast. Um, if if you happen to be fortunate enough to be or know the kinds of people that that build marketplaces, definitely reach out in those cases. Um, but yeah, please, please do connect to me. Um, my, you know, my email address, noahphealy at yahoo.com or, uh, connect to me on LinkedIn. Let's, if, if you think that we should have economies and not, you know, not have an economy, uh, let's, let's, let's get a movement going.
0: Well, good, good, uh, thought there. I hope people will get involved. You know, I'm, I'm not an optimist for humanity. I think we we all are living very selfish, self centered lives, not thinking about the big picture. And some somebody like me has, and this is an excuse I'm making for my own lack of activity. Is that you know I've lived my life. I feel like nothing I can do can make a difference. And I'm sure there's a lot of people. Who, who feel like that uh, if 65 years old, I'm on my way out. The ride is almost over. I could see the guy coming up and ready to open the gate at the end of the roller coaster for me in time for me to just walk off into wherever we go from here. Uh, but I do, I, I, I want to see the world a better place. And so I I'm rooting for you if that counts at all. And I will do whatever I can to pass the word on and, and hope people get in, involved or, or feel inspired enough motivated enough by what you're saying to look into it further that's all we can do right i hope so yes all right well thank you for this conversation i I appreciate it i hope it's made a difference to some people you definitely have taught me a few things here in this conversation and i appreciate you 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 come in with it and i appreciate your um intention and desire to make the world a better place thank you thank you thanks for coming have a great night and bye for now Noah P. Healy, folks, It's Noah P. Healy at yahoo.com. Find them on LinkedIn. The uh, core disc.com is in the description. It's going, it's going across the screen. It's core, like Core's beer, C O O R. <laughs> I'm talking to my audience now. Core disc. Core disc.com, D I S C, not K. Core Uh Check it out. I hope, you, uh, I hope you found this interesting and compelling. Uh, there's a lot. You know, can be overwhelming intellectually to, to to think about some of these ideas. There's a lot there. Uh, I do think, unless unless we get a change, a big change in human motivation, u- human inspiration for for a better world, he's fighting an uphill battle. I mean, come on. Uh, because not being a conspiratorial minded person, I do think there are a lot of very wealthy powerful people with interest in keeping this stuff hey let's not let the common people know about that that kind of idea anyway I'd love to hear your thoughts questions all that kind of stuff info at minddogtv.com info at minddogtv.com do have uh, we will be broadcasting live simulcasting live on live 365 radio starting Thursday the morning show this show last rights dykes and man all of it and we'll probably be DJing some music for the rest of the day. That starts Thursday, this Thursday. The apps will be out two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, so look forward to that. You'll hear me talking about it every day. Have a show tomorrow, Coffee with Dog, 9 a.m. Join me then. Until then, I'm Matt Nappo for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Have a great rest of your night. Bye for now. listen to me now listen to me. Listen to me. Listen, to me listen to me listen to me now listen to I me listen I to, I listen to me listen to me now listen to me listen to me listen to me now